UK has made it painstakingly clear. Transfer pricing compliance is an order, not a request. And the proof is in the sticky toffee pudding. The HMRC is talking new transfer pricing regulation proposals. It's increased its staff count by 1,300 and is conducting criminal investigations into transfer pricing cases. On today's episode of the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, we're jumping the pond to talk all things transfer pricing in the UK and how M&Es can brace themselves for increased scrutiny. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello, and you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout today's show. Send all three to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Again, that's the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Now, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. The U.S. is turning into legislation nation around tax transparency, that is. The House committee gave the thumbs up on the Disclosure of Tax Havens and Offshoring Act. It will require public corporations to spill their financial guts by sharing country-by-country subsidiary information. This information is already reported to the IRS in Form 8975, but the Disclosure of Tax Havens and Offshoring Act wants to go a step further and make this information available to the public. Amy Hanauer, executive director of the Institute on Taxation and Economy Policy, considers the legislation, quote, a reasonable step in allowing lawmakers and the public to know what companies are up to, unquote. It's the verdict we've all been waiting for, Amazon versus the EU Commission, and the wait is finally over. The EU General Court ruled that Amazon did not receive state aid from Luxembourg, freeing the e-commerce conglomerate from a $300 million tax bill. The court considered the commission's assessment, quote, incorrect in several respects, unquote, highlighting that it failed to demonstrate that Luxembourg provided an illegal advantage. While it's a hard pill to swallow for the commission, state aid cases like Starbucks, Fiat, and Amazon are laying the groundwork for the future of tax transparency. So what does this mean for M&Es? They're going to be spending a lot more time under the microscope. Are you really that surprised? Pasta, pizza, and a digital service tax, it doesn't get more Italian than that. Italy's revenue agency recently issued guidance to help taxpayers navigate the digital service tax's implementation and execution, which officially went into effect on January 1st, 2020. It applies to groups or individuals that made 750 million euros or more in the preceding fiscal year, with at least 5.5 million euros coming from digital services in the country. The guidance clarifies which services and transactions are subject to the tax and how to calculate it. As for the guidance, talk about better late than never. The guidance was issued at the end of March with the first tax payment collected on May 16th. And one more reason to mark your calendar, the digital service tax return due date is right around the corner, June 30th. Spain is throwing taxpayers a lifeline. The Spanish tax authority's latest guidance outlines how to determine a value range for an arm's length price. 
pulling from the OECD's transfer pricing guidelines and the EU's joint transfer pricing forum. The guidance covers areas like testing the value of controlled transactions, when to employ statistical tools, and ways to handle ranges with a wide dispersion. It also recommends regular assessment of comparability to confirm that the range is still applicable. With multinational scrutiny on the up and up in Spain, taxpayers will be happy for a little hand-holding. Your phone and wardrobe are constantly seeing updates. Turns out transfer pricing isn't far behind. The UN released the latest version of its transfer pricing manual for developing countries, which replaces the 2017 edition. So what are the new nuggets of content? We'll save you from flipping through 600 plus pages. The updates to the manual cover intra-group financial transactions country practices, and centralized procurement functions. It also helps with navigating profit splits and resolving comparability issues. The UN wants to help provide as much clarity as possible to developing countries, and updated guidance is a step in the right direction. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. Welcome back, everyone. Once again, Matthew DeMello here, back in the office in beautiful Terrytown, New York, for Cross-Border Solutions. We're here to talk about the HMRC. We're joined by Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song and Transfer Pricing Director Pamesh Sharma. In fact, I'm going to hand things over to Mimi for this conversation. Mimi, you have the floor. All right. Pamesh, it is very nice to have you join us today. I'm super excited to talk about the HMRC. How are you? Thank you, Mimi. Doing very well. Yes, it's nice and sunny. So, yes, things are looking good. Where are you located and what's been happening in terms of the pandemic? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, so as, as many of you may know, I'm, I'm based in the UK. And in terms of the pandemic, we are very slowly loosening restrictions, you know, and I think we're, we're taking very small steps to open things up. So at the moment, we are able to go to restaurants, but, you know, again, we can only sort of be outdoors, being able to mingle with people who are not in your family, but again, out, out of doors. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's slow and gradual, but I think with improving weather, we should be seeing some better times, particularly over the summer months. Do you think that your, your work-life situation has changed for the better because of the pandemic or, or for the worse? What do you think? 
<laughs> it's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think I would say certainly better. I have felt I'm valuing a lot more family time than I mm-hmm. than I was before for obvious reasons. But then, you know, when you think about it, you know, that that, that really does matter. Right. Well, I always felt like you were a family guy. Yeah. 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 yeah I think definitely better. Good. And what about transfer pricing? We always ask this question, how did you stumble into transfer pricing? And have you seen a lot of changes over the years in terms of when you first started versus where we are now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, and I think my, my, you know, I think the word stumble is a really good word. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to put people off about, you know, planning your careers. But what was really interesting about my introduction to transfer pricing was I used to work in IT a very long time ago. You know, after graduation, I went on to a graduate recruitment program in IT. And this is a very long time ago. And unfortunately, there was a, a downturn in the technology sector. And, you know, I was, after about a couple of years, things weren't going too well. So I, you know, I thought, what else could I do? You know, I just had a master's in economics. You know, I've got a bachelor's in economics and some years of experience under my belt. But, you know, what is it I really wanted to do? You know, and I did want to use economics. And I wanted to apply it in what I do day to day. And I did see an advert from KPMG about, you know, wanting to hire economists. And this really intrigued me because I thought I associated the accounting firms with accountancy, right? That wasn't the route I wanted to go down, but, you know, they were looking for economists. And then I read around transfer pricing. And at that time, particularly in the UK, it was beginning to take off the the whole area around compliance. Mm -hmm. But the idea was KPMG at the time were looking for lawyers, economists, tax specialists, accountants, you name it. And it just sounded really intriguing. I was really, you know, interested, went for the interview. And, you know, many years later, I'm here I am, right? So, and I haven't looked back. And I think, you know, in in that time, and I think it's approaching nearly 18 years now, I've really seen the landscape change. I mean, mean, if you you take a look at our customers, right, people we speak to, Mm people in the multinational enterprises, tax directors, CFOs. When I first started out in transfer pricing, it was very much a risk-based field. Right. And in the UK, it was be- you know, quite often barely acknowledged. If a tax person could, could kind of ignore this and see if it goes away, that's fine. It would be the strategy. I mean, it really was pretty much like that. There, was, there seemed to be bigger fish to fry, I think, for tax, tax experts out there. But I think over the years, it's it's kind of really turned around from that risk-based or, or maybe, you know, head-in-the-sand approach to something that's now seen as something that should be implemented in the process of a, of a company's tax policy, tax framework. It's really become something as part of compliance. And you're seeing departments now with specialist TP hires, and then that tells you a lot about where it's changed. And obviously, on the back of... BEPS actions, particularly 8 to 10 and 13, which looked yeah. at economic analysis, augmentation, Mimi, you know, you know that more than anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also with BEPS 2.0, it's only going to get ever more important, certainly for taxpayers now, to get a handle of it and be really in charge of of that part of the process. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, perhaps historically speaking, the lack of respect from a unilateral country specific basis for transfer pricing requirements 
maybe because they thought, hey, no one's talking to anyone other. We see these tax arbitrage situations as a multinational operating in various jurisdictions. We're doing everything within the restrictions of the law, right? And so this brings us to our actual topic here because the UK specifically, I mean, what you had indicated, even there, perhaps people and tax professionals had before BEPS, right? Considered that transfer pricing was not really mandatory, not really a a must-have. But HMRC, over the last five years, has actually brought in over six billion pounds in additional tax revenue from transfer pricing compliance. So why why is transfer pricing such a major source of tax uncertainty for these large UK operations? Yeah, I mean, it is it is a really interesting approach taken by HMRC and, and how we see this turnaround. And I think it all goes back, I think, initially from when the HMRC introduced the diverted profit tax back in 2015. I think that was that was one of the biggest changes we'd seen in the UK in a very long time in, in this space. And, and and just to catch everyone up, it's the diverted profits is basically a tax, a charge, right? Levied on multinationals where there are UK operations where HMRC thinks artificial arrangements have been constructed to divert profits overseas in order to avoid UK tax. Some people might call it a a top-up tax, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in so much as it's doing that, it's it's levying quite a quite a hefty charge on this. So any of those profits you know deemed to be diverted would have a much higher tax levied. Currently it's a 25%, right? Which is you know about six percent higher than than the corporate tax rate. So that's not insignificant, correct. In interrupting very briefly everyone for our first CPE code word, and that code word is majesty, as in Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. And back to our conversation. Why is transfer pricing actually considered such a significant area of tax risk for the HMRC? Yes, I've been reading about this, Mimi, and we know that HMRC estimates that roughly 2,000 of its largest businesses with operations in the UK could actually owe an additional approximately 34 billion British pounds in tax. And this has been researched by HMRC in value of over two years. And HMRC have also said they've estimated that 34 billion pounds in terms of unpaid taxes, of which 10 billion right there is specifically related to transfer pricing. So you can see that that level of scrutiny, particularly on transfer pricing related issues. And so on the back of this, this year, HMRC opened a consultation really asking for input from various stakeholders in the UK, you know, particularly, you know, large businesses and advisors, for example, to gain input on updating the UK's transfer pricing documentation requirements which again is, is a very big, big change from what we've seen before. Because if right. you imagine, you know, we, we know that historically HMRC hasn't been as prescriptive as other jurisdictions as to what it wants to see in terms of documentation, right? Right, um, right. And they typically that. gave you like the entire year <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> as perhaps not only prescriptive, but even a restrictive 
right? The sentiment, as you had stated, was it was that taxpayers kind of ignored those requirements and were willing to gamble on it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think, and I mean, we've heard this, right? I mean, conversations with, you know, in our day-to-day business with with mm-hmm. tax professionals that when it comes to the UK, it's well, you know, it's often been said that you know we we haven't been investigated for a number of years, or right. you know, our policies have been this way for so long, we haven't had any inquiries from the HMRC, so we're going to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. So, and in fact, that may have been true. But right up until now, that that couldn't be further from the truth. Things will definitely change. That's for sure. Well, interestingly enough, too, I wanted to bring up this point. Even though HMRC had lax documentation requirements per se, they still wanted to ensure that transactions even between the provinces within the UK were at arm's length. Like domestic transactions were under or are, I should say, under scope of transfer pricing regulations. Mm, correct. Yeah, I mean, there was, there's still significant legislation, you know, up until now, which talks about, as you say, Mimi, you know, the UK transfer mm-hmm. pricing requirements, and also, the, you know, the notion of the, you know, the arm's length price and, and evidence of your transactions being at arm's length, be it UK to UK or UK overseas, and having a provision to adjust those prices, you know, if they're not considered to be arm's length. So the legislation has been around for a very long time, but I think the evidence needed, you know, as, as we've already said, has, hasn't been too specific or detailed in its content until now. Yeah. Right. I think in 2019, HMRC has, they're starting to put a little bit more, what I will call belts and suspenders around this transfer pricing topic. And they had established a profit diversion compliance facility. Can you tell us more about this effort and why would it be advantageous for multinationals? Hmm. Yeah, so obviously, you know, talked about the previous efforts of HMRC in terms of, you know, introducing legislation to prevent profit shifting. But, you know, despite those attempts, HMRC still acknowledges that a large number of UK taxpayers still have tax arrangements where the UK profits don't reflect the UK value that's being created, right? And on the back of that, this is, you know, the profit diversion compliance facility was introduced in January 2019. So the idea there was it was a facility effectively to allow UK taxpayers to register with HMRC if they thought that their TP policies were diverting profits from the UK. Right. So it's a form of kind of a, a self-registering process. So the UK taxpayer is given time to get their policies up to date. But we do know that that's been operating since 2019. And we know now that letters have been sent, for example, September of last year, where HMRC you know, gave corporations 90 days to submit information relating to the profit diversion compliance facility. And, and this is where you know, things are really ramping up in terms of the expectation of HMRC, because if, if companies choose not to do this and the 90 days expire, the HMRC have confirmed that they will immediately follow up with investigations with the majority of those businesses you know, not complying with that you know, right. 90-day timeline. And the idea about that is really to show that, first of all, it, it gives the opportunity for multinationals to self-assess, but 
HMRC really doesn't want to be seen as the bad guy, I think, in this situation. And it's encouraging companies to step up and to look at their policies in a bit more detail. And I think it's just trying to communicate that message that transfer pricing is, is really on a high, high alert status, I think, for HMRC. And then they're really taking this seriously with the idea that, you know, HMRC are already researching the billions of pounds which can be shifted through transfer pricing, then, you know, this is something that I think HMRC are definitely going to take taxpayers to task, I think, definitely. Interestingly enough, I think that the self-assessment regime or facility, right, it forces taxpayers to do the documentation and the analysis because they need to do that in order to determine whether or not their transactions are sufficiently arm's length and whether or not adjustments need to be applied. Exactly. And if you think about it, you know, we talked a lot about, Mimi, about historically the approach of many large UK corporates. UK corporates have been more worried about other tax authorities, right, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to HMRC, very comfortable with HMRC. And that's because nothing has really been done until now until now, right. how to review the details, what to do. And I think this is going to change. And I think, you know, to what you said earlier, I think it's going to hopefully improve the information flow both ways. I think it's going to give HMRC better data. And as you say, Mimi, quite rightly, it's going to give the UK taxpayers you know, a chance to review it and better document what they have. And for many UK companies, there's a big gap at the moment. You know, quite often many companies don't have a lot when it comes to UK specific transfer pricing write-ups in, in the form of local files or documentation similar to that. So, yeah, this will be an interesting time. Right. So, I mean, it boils down to clearly HMRC has billions of pounds of potential tax revenue that they think that they are losing to these profit shifting activities. And they're very much focused on putting MEs on higher alert to say, hey, you have to utilize these tools and mechanisms that we're providing this profit diversion compliance facility and make sure that you're not part of that 34 billion pounds of diverted profits. Because if so, we're coming after you, right? So in addition to the profit diversion compliance facility, how else is the HMRC actually ramping up its compliance efforts? Because that's not the only thing they're doing, right? Correct, yeah. I mean, there, there are some other things happening here. So Rishi Sunak, the Conservative Chancellor of the Czech Republic, has announced that HMRC will be hiring approximately 1,300 more staff, you know, which is which is really significant. I think it's something we haven't really seen in, in some time. And the plan is really to collect an extra roughly 4.6 billion pounds over the next five years. And again, I think the idea here is that Rishi Sunak is really, you know, asking companies to take a closer look at their transfer pricing arrangements, right? And I think it may come down to requiring companies to to even spell out computations in in their accounts, you know, and that'll be interesting to see. In interrupting very quickly once again, everyone, for our second CPE code word, that code word is revenue, as in Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Again, that second CPE code word is revenue. And back to our conversation. We can't forget about the criminal investigation that HMRC is taking into M&Es when it considers that these certain M&Es are paying less than their fair share of taxes. Why is the tax authority pursuing criminal investigations so aggressively? 
Yeah, well, it's another interesting area. I mean, it's really not just a civil tax it's discussion anymore, as you say, Mimi. It's, I think it's aiming to go after, maybe to make examples of multinational companies that are potentially seen to be abusing the system. HYZ's aim is really to go after documentation, which is clearly considered to be maybe not telling the complete truth. You know, could we say lying even? So trying to expose false documentation. And I think from what I understand, the first investigation by HMRC was opened up in, in 2018. And what's interesting is historically, HMRC has been very private about these kinds of activities, whether it's looking at court cases which come to light or whether it looks at pursuing the companies directly when it comes to aggressive initiatives. But I think that's also going to change. I think we're going to see more information in the news. HMRC really guiding this to make that announcement to big corporations that it's still there and it's still going to be looking out for those companies who really aren't complying. Right. It's this big warning sign to say, we know what you're doing and we're coming after you. But I'm curious, I mean, the feedback from the tax community, right, based on this type of approach, what do you think this indicates about the global direction of tax compliance? And what's the general feeling from the tax community? Yeah, I mean, again, another interesting point. I mean, HMRC believes that around, you know, the amount of businesses that have underpaid tax may have increased by sort of 16% to 34.8 billion for the fiscal year 2019 to 2020, which is up from 29.9 billion in the prior tax year. And this is according to figures published by HMRC. So my take on this is I'm, I'm feeling that it obviously shows tax compliance as a top priority across many jurisdictions and that, you know, multinationals shouldn't be surprised as more and more will follow suit. So I think it's definitely, HMRC is definitely tackling compliance from all angles and by looking at the number of staff it's increasing, planning to pursue criminal investigations, it's really demonstrating that, you know, there's there's going to be a, you know, a zero tolerance, I think, to any form of profit diversion or or underpayment of taxes. We've said this before, you know, its goal is to close the tax gap, right? It, it used to be out there and to collect about £4.6 billion over the next five years. And I think that's, that's going to more than easily be met, I think. Do you think the pandemic has intensified the UK's emphasis on transfer pricing? Is that something that is further fueling the UK's desire to shore up that tax gap? Absolutely, yes. You know, if we step back a bit, if we just look at the UK corporate tax rate, you know, mm-hmm. currently set at around 19%, it's going to increase. I think from 2020, it's going to jump to 25%. And that increase alone is is projecting to bring in additional revenues of 11.9 billion. Okay, this is at the corporate tax level. So we haven't even talked about transfer pricing. Now, you know, remember we talked about the rising corporate tax rates. Well, the profit diversion tax, which was previously set at around slightly higher than the corporate tax rate, that's going to increase to 31% from April 2023. So to really discourage any sort of profit diversion, right? Yeah, exactly. Before it happens. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Before it happens. I mean, that's the idea. So we can see just in these announcements that the idea is that we know the UK has been hit hard by the pandemic. Many jurisdictions have. We've had our own forms of government assistance, lockdown, bailouts, etc. 
So we know that the UK has to make up for the, for the loss of profit. It needs to increase the tax revenues, close the tax gap. So we'll be increasing those investigations. And I think on the back of the corporate tax hikes, you know, transfer pricing is going to be a, a key part of that. So, you know, multinationals need to pay close attention to those requirements, which we're now going to be seeing with the uh, consultation documentation and also looking at ways to, I think tax authorities will be looking at ways to to make up for those losses in, in any way possible, I think. Well, in anticipation of this and all the sentiment and the challenges that the HMRC is imposing now, what can M&Es do to protect themselves ultimately from getting caught in this net of the HMRCs? I might even dare to call it a witch hunt, right? Yeah, exactly. Serious stuff from HMRC. It's, it's mm-hmm. particularly scary, I think, in terms of going from something that's been less prescriptive to something that is now more targeted, more focused, more specific, looking at profits being diverted. But I think the solution is is actually very simple. And mm-hmm. we've been arguing this, Mimi, you and I, you know, for many years, <laughs> yeah. many jurisdictions. It's all about assessing, for example, you know, documentation, looking, you know, we'll talk about the specifics of what HMRC are going to be looking for soon, but it's looking at consistency. So we know many companies will, will hopefully have or should have intercompany agreements in place and policy, trust suppressing policy agreements in place, but make sure that, you know, what's being said in these agreements are consistent with your report. So if you have a management services agreement, make sure the report is capturing the transactions which are mentioned in the schedule, right? You know, mm-hmm. make sure that there are no inconsistencies. And also looking at data, right? Looking at comparable company data. We know that the use of local comparables are still relevant and still important for the UK. So if you're using cut data, for example, the comparable uncontrolled price, make sure it's relevant. You know, make sure we're looking at, you know, maybe one side of it being in the UK, if it's a third-party agreement. Try and localize it as much as possible. Other areas to look at would be making documentation contemporaneous. This is really important because if we're dealing with a HMRC regime, which has been less prescriptive in the past, then we know UK taxpayers won't have contemporaneous documentation. They'll have a report which is two or three years old. Yeah. Maybe older, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's been done before. But you know what's been done before, it won't apply now, and it certainly will not apply once feedback has, has come back from the consultation document, because we know that contemporary documentation will be essential, absolutely. And other tips for UK taxpayers would be, be aware of the different types of transfer pricing methods that are applicable to your case. You know, as a, as a taxpayer, you may not have been reviewing these because you haven't had contemporary documentation. So you may not have those processes in place to regularly review methodologies. Right. Well, to your earlier point, the cup method, look at it closely because cups can easily be broken, pun intended. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In that light, it's being open to change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the main takeaways. The future enactment of clear requirements is expected soon. I think that segues us really nicely into talking about there is a little bit of, I might call it a light at the end of the tunnel, right? With this open consultation related to the new transfer pricing 
regulation proposals that the HMRC has issued. Can you tell us a little bit more about these proposals and what would they mean for the tax authority and taxpayers? Sure. So it, it's been about maybe it's been about five years since the UK adopted the CBC minimum standards. So mm-hmm. to start the ball rolling in terms of getting greater alignment with BEPS Action 13 final report. So what's being considered? So really, from as you say, from March, from the end of March 2021, this consultation paper, which has been sent out, stipulates a process. It's basically a five-stage process and the first, you know, basically stage one, is ultimately what we'll be talking about. And it's it's basically setting out the objectives and identifying options. And so what HMRC are looking at is to, we know that historically they, HMRC didn't produce specific documentation requirements, as many countries had recently achieved in terms of the introduction of the master file, local file. So that's going to be the first thing. HMRC in the consultation paper is looking at seeking comments about the introduction of a mandatory requirement for multinational enterprises within CBC reporting groups to provide HMRC with a copy of a master file on request, usually within 30 days, and to produce on request also within 30 days a local file. And the key here is in what I just said, CBC reporting groups. So we're really targeting those large, very large multinationals. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not hitting the small taxpayers at least yet. But, you know, I think that's where we're starting. And other areas that are being looked at is the potential to support a local file with something called an evidence log, which I believe was used in the profit diversion compliance facility, which we recently just talked about. And and I think this came about because taxpayers provided feedback to HMRC saying that the idea of having an evidence log really, really provided a positive benefit for UK business and HMRC. So I think the idea is the evidence log would be to, to log, for example, situations which would clarify an application of a particular fact or evidence. So, you know, maybe the outcome of an interview with uh, the member or VP of of R&D. Or potentially changes to the business structure or transfer pricing policy in response to the pandemic, right? And especially if you're able to log that immediately, you have that support at the ready. Yeah. And if you think about that, it's, and we talked about this earlier about, you know, making transfer pricing very much process driven, you know, look at it as if you're looking at a, any other form of tax work, any other form of mandatory filing, you know, put it in your timeline that if something's going to impact transfer pricing, it could be provided in the evidence log. So that's another item that's being proposed. And I think the closing date for these responses will be June. Right. So June the 1st. So really, really not long to. It's right around the corner. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. 
Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. All of this work right now, it triggers a question in my mind whether or not the historical documentation requirement being so lax was perhaps by design. You know, I don't know. I, you have to wonder if that might have been the case. But now the consultation, in addition to adopting the BEPS Action 13 documentation framework, they're talking about adding an international dealing schedule. Right. So this reminds me of Australia, by the way, but we're talking about the UK. So what potential types of data and information could be reported or could be required in that international dealings schedule? Yeah, this, this is really interesting. And, you know, obviously, when we talk about HMRC using the word IDS, clearly tax authorities like to meet each other. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. sure there was a conversation with the ATO about what could be improved. And I think HMRC have been open to that. They have been speaking to other tax authorities to see what has been useful for, for tax authorities and what the taxpayers find interesting. And as you say, Mimi, yeah, Australia has something similar, an IDS schedule. Belgium has the 275, which is a, you know, a similar disclosure kind of schedule. I think mm -hmm. Colombia has something similar too. A lot of tax authorities have these actually. Right. In addition to multiple local file. So it's not new grounds, but yeah, I mean, this is interesting. So HMRC in that consultation document have listed, they've enumerated some of what could be considered. So I'm just, just you know, reading off here. Uh, examples would be you know, the nature and the amount of the, the specific types of intercompany transactions, compensation or receipts or payments of any non-financial nature, information on restructuring activity, and also information on transfer pricing methodologies, right? What's now that's one? interesting because that yeah. essentially forces the taxpayer to ensure that they have an economic analysis prepared, right? Absolutely. It really, it really does. It really brings into light that need for the taxpayer really to be in charge of their transfer pricing process. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, yeah. And just maybe to name another item here was maybe to provide counterparty details for transactions. Right. So including, you know, the identity and country location, which we know many jurisdictions have that requirement in one way or another. So yeah, it's a very interesting addition to this. Yeah. It reminds me, I feel like every country is adopting some sort of international dealing schedule or transfer pricing report or tax form requirement where, where Poland wants to understand the method as well as the actual range of results, right? the actual arm's length range. It's moving towards this scenario where the tax authority is forcing a taxpayer to make sure that they're submitting proof that their documentation is contemporaneous. It is key evidence, isn't it, really, that's being requested. And I think it's trying to really change the behavior, if that can be said, of of UK of taxpayers. taxpayers, right. Yeah. And I think that behavioral change is really important because one of the key points you noted before is prior to BEPS, the taxpayer sentiment related to transfer pricing issues. And there's almost, I dare to say, almost a lack of respect for HMRC's rules, right? 
the, the mm. requirements of the state, you should have documentation in place to prove that your intercompany transactions are at arm's length. And yet taxpayers were saying, well, you're not really paying attention to it. So I'm not going to pay attention to it. Okay. Right. Yeah. So how do you think these new rules ultimately benefit? I think we can see the benefit to HMRC, but how do you think they could benefit UK businesses? I think we've really sort of touched on this. I think, first of all, we know for UK business that there, there will be greater transparencies as part of that, I think, improved learned behavior, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, this, this, we must provide these pieces of information. But I think it helps multinationals to, you know, examine their, the transfer pricing, hopefully catch any discrepancies, you know, before it's too late. And, you know, I think it's providing greater certainty for UK businesses. That's ultimately what I think is happening here. Because we know, you know, and we've touched on this before, prior to the consultation paper, you know, the, the certainty really wasn't there. And, and that's reflected in the difference in the evidence that UK businesses provide in terms of their transfer pricing. And I think we'll, we'll see a more uniformed approach, I think, across a lot of large businesses as to how they're looking at transfer pricing. In interrupting one final time for our third and last CPE code word, and that code word is customs, as in Her Majesty's revenue and customs. Again, that third and final CPE code word for today's episode is customs. Back to our conversation. And knowing what we know now about HMRC's intensified evaluation of transfer pricing, what is your advice to our listeners, to our customers, tax directors, professionals operating within MEs? Because both of us have been on that side of the fence, right? You operated on the industry side, so you understand that. You're not just coming from a consulting perspective either. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my advice, you know, really is is really a summary of what we've been saying today is really understand and take control of, of transfer pricing, understand how transfer pricing works in your business. You know, where does it sit in your tax framework? Who's involved with what? A lot of transfer pricing information, if you like, can be difficult to, to get. A lot of it requires interviews, right? We know about functionality interviews. A lot of it requires fact-finding. The data, the data to, to get in order to confirm your arms-length prices, the data itself, when it comes from maybe your general ledger or ERP systems, isn't designed specifically for transfer pricing. So there has to be an understanding of what data are you looking at. And I think the long and the short of it is really understand what's being covered in your transfer pricing in the business. Where are your transfer pricing agreements? Are they consistent? What are your deadlines? What are the changes in your business that will impact those intercompany transactions? And get a process in place and make sure you're contemporaneously producing documentation, both master file and local file for the UK and globally as well. Absolutely. Right, right. And change your mindset and behavior. I think that that's the underlying theme too, right? That yeah. HMRC is expecting us all to change our mindset and behavior as it relates to transfer pricing practices. So I appreciate your perspective, Pamesh. This has been enlightening. We all know now that the HMRC requirements are becoming much more restrictive 
everyone's got to keep a close watch on how things develop. But no matter what, we know that HMRC is ultimately putting transfer pricing on a high alert for multinationals. So really appreciate your perspective, Pamesh. Thank you. Thanks so much to Mimi and Pamesh for joining us on today's show. Just to recap everything we've covered so far with some key takeaways, the UK and transfer pricing scrutiny go together like tea and crumpets. And with new regulation proposals on the table, it demonstrates how quickly the transfer pricing arena is transforming. While it may look like more hoops to jump through, new regulations have their own advantages. More certainty for UK businesses, better quality data for the HMRC, and the opportunity for M&Es to catch any discrepancies. And before we head into our rapid-fire round, a message from my friends and yours at Cross Border Solutions. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp welcome back everyone it's time for my favorite part of the show our rapid fire round of more personal questions still delving into tax at certain points but we call this segment what we want to know and in the hot seat today is pamesh and he knows because he's been in the hot seat many times question number one is are you ready Yes, absolutely ready. <laughs> Excellent. Question number two, fill in the blank. My favorite way to start the workday is? I would take a walk if I have time. And that, that's my, that's the one thing I like to do, definitely, is, is take a walk, collect my thoughts. Oh, man. I don't walk enough, but I believe in this so much. I should be a priest at the Church of Walking and taking long walks to think. I should do it more to really earn the title, but I, I believe in it that much. Name one transfer pricing mistake you've seen M&Es make over and over again. One mistake I see is, actually, is when we look at economic analysis, is thinking that your competitors make good comparables. It, it seems to keep happening. <laughs> you know what? It could even make sense. But, you know, it's really not the case because... Your competitors, although are performing similar functions and tasks, they're not performing the same intercompany transactions. And it's as simple as that. So they cannot make good comparables themselves. The analysis has to be much more refined and fine-tuned to the transaction we're looking at, which may not even be something related directly to the product you're selling. Question number four, what is your ultimate comfort food? Oh, wow. Okay. I would probably say 
foods as opposed to food but i would say it's probably it's probably most foods which are unhealthy right so <laughs> I, I will basically try and limit those as much as possible i'm going to be very discreet and maybe not disclose what they are but they tend to be they tend to be unhealthy right absolutely <laughs> i'm so sorry pamesh the correct answer was baked potatoes how would your <laughs> colleagues describe you okay i really would like to think approachable right I really, I don't want to be that scarecrow. I want to be that person who is approachable, right? If there's any questions, you know, speak to me. I think many years in the business and you, let's say you have a new hire. New hires could be really daunted by somebody with years of experience. But, you know, I don't want to be somebody who's not approachable. So I think approachable is the one I want to be described as being. I would describe you as a colleague as the best transfer pricing podcast guest we've ever had that we have over and over and over and over again just for that reason that's that's just how i feel i believe this is question number six what part of transfer pricing do you find most fascinating and why definitely the the many disciplines which are involved right because if you think about it you you cannot do a degree yet in transfer pricing there are courses but it's still a very it's still very niche and i think it requires work of a lot of different people with different hats. So you have lawyers, you have people in tax, you have economists, and you have accountants. And so what I like about it is that multidisciplinary approach really is, is what I'm trying to get at. And that just keeps it very interesting because, you know, you can look at issues from different angles and sometimes they look completely different. Transfer pricing often does that to the specialist. So you have to have different hats on when looking at different issues. Pamesh, thank you so much for being with us on today's podcast. We want to thank everyone at home also for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast along with Cross Border Solutions suite of tax podcasts available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host and produce the audio for this show along with Andrew O'Donnell. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Marilyn Mitchumstrom is our executive producer. While we are back in our offices in beautiful Terrytown, New York, although we moved our headquarters to St. Petersburg, Florida, it's a long story, we are just right around the corner at the end of this thing. So we want to wish everyone well, encourage you to wear a mask, stay safe, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.